Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Dive Differently. Jeremy Kalmanowski with you here, Learning Tracks at Yivamot, page 65, or Samet Hay. The page continues the discussion begun yesterday about the mitzvah of pru or uvu, the mitzvah of uh, having children, and what happens when a couple does not successfully have children. Uh, the, we talked about the expectation that they would divorce so that the husband could have children with somebody else, and today's page will focus in on a number of details of that question, specifically about uh, whether or not a childless woman is entitled to the same promises of financial sustenance in her ketubah. Sounds cruel, probably is cruel from a modern standpoint, but uh, the question on the, their minds in the Gemara is that there is an assumption, a, a, a baseline assumption in entering marriage that it will produce children back then, and if it proves not to be successful, then perhaps after two or three subsequent marriages, such a woman is not entitled to the same degree of financial care, and such a husband is not expected to provide the same degree of financial care. The baseline assumption of the Gemara is that after the ten years of a childless marriage, uh, that they're supposed to divorce, and he can go on and get married to somebody else. Now, notably, that just assumes, the way I said it, just assumes that uh, monogamy is the system. If, if he was uh, able to marry another woman, um, then he could just marry a second wife and keep the first one, just like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar in the Torah. At the bottom of the Adaf of our page, we in fact will talk about that very that very uh, possibility. Uh, if he says, "Amar ihu ezil itata," uh, and uh, let me go and marry some other woman in addition to first wife, the Evduk Nafshai, and let me check, maybe I'm the reason for infertility, but if I'm with this other woman, we prove that, that it's not my physical problem that is holding us up. Rabbi, uh, Amar Rabbi Ami, Rabbi Ami says, Af ten in such a case, when he goes to marry that second woman, he has to divorce the first one and pay the full Ketubah price. Shani Omer, Rabbi Ami says, I say, Kohanosa Isha al Ishto, Yotzi v'yiten ketubah. Any man who marries a second wife, uh, it was first wife is still alive, must divorce her and pay the ketubah. Rabbi Ami's position is uh, monogamy is the rule. That is, however, uh, not the only position and probably not the majority position in Jewish law because the page continues on the very last line of the A-side. Rava Amar, however, Rava says, No se'adam kamanashim al ishto. A man can marry multiple women as long as he has enough money to sustain them. So Rava's Babylonian position is that polygamy is in principle okay if you have the means. Now on the bet side of our page, which will be the last Mishnah of our chapter, we talk about the, the mitzvah of Pru and the uh, gender differential. Ha'ish mitzuveh al males are commanded regarding uh, reproduction. Uh, but not women. Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka Omer, but Rabbi Yochanan ben Baroka says, 
על שניהם הוא אומר, ויברך אותם אלוהים, ויאמר להם, קרו ורבו. רבי יוחנן בן ברוקה says, what are you talking about? They both are commanded, because if you just look in the Torah, God blessed, blesses both Adam and Eve, and says to them, in the plural, you be fruitful and multiply. Obviously, it requires both males and females to create a new, new life. It really is rather remarkable that such an obvious proof text does not carry the day in the Talmud and makes you think that there is some additional agenda uh, behind, behind what's going on, some additional value judgment that leads the sages to ignore, or at least most of the sages besides Rabbi Yohan and Ben Broca, to ignore such an obvious biblical proof text to arrive at the other conclusion that women are not technically obligated. And our passage will suggest a couple of reasons. First, in what seems like a, almost a non-sequitur, it's not obvious how it fits into the argument, but uh, it becomes, I think, clear. Amar Rabbi Eli Mishum Rabbi Eliezer, or Elazar Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Eli says the name of Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Shimon, Keshem Shem Mitzvah Al-Adam Lomar Davar HaNishma, as a person is compelled, commanded, to say things which will be understood and heeded, Kach Mitzvah Al-Adam Shelo Lomar Davar She'eno Nishma. Such, a, such is a person equally commanded not to say things that cannot be listened to and heeded. Gives us a verse to prove that, and that same string of teachers goes on and gives a very interesting Agadah that tells us that even God sometimes tells white lies to make peace among people. That's seemingly some sort of indication of you have to say things that people can absorb, you have to say nice things. So why would the command to women to reproduce be something that couldn't be heeded. Well, our page doesn't explicitly say, it's a little bit elliptical, but I think that we can intuit that what this means, and this will be indicated uh, with an anecdote at the very bottom of our page, is that childbirth can be agonizing, can be quite difficult, and it seems very unlikely that uh, God or the Torah, whose ways are uh, paths of pleasantness and peace, would say to people, you are commanded to undergo this great difficulty and agony and put your life at risk. So I think that between the lines, we can read that statement of Rabbi Elias saying women can't be com compelled to have children because it's just, it's just too difficult to make that a mitzvah upon them. Now that explanation for why women would, be uh, would not be obligated, uh, certainly not a feminist obligation, but it certainly is not a feminist interpretation, but it's certainly sensitive to women and to, to what we might guess is women's experience, uh, and so therefore... Uh, you might call that relatively congenial. There are a couple of other explanations which might be less congenial to the modern ear. Uh, there's a couple of anecdotes regarding Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Ami, and, and Rabbi Nachman, three Amoraim, uh, which suggest that if women were equally obligated to reproduce and they had a childless marriage, then women could force the divorce. They could insist upon the divorce. And that is not something which we modern people think is good, but that's not something that ancient people thought was good. Uh, ancient societies were, were fairly negative about women having that kind of power to create or dissolve marriages. It's one of the things that makes us feel sometimes quite, quite far from the uh, idea patterns of the Gemara. But if a woman says, listen, I have a principle of pru urvu too, you better release me from this marriage, that would give her a lot of power, uh, legal power, and I don't think the rabbis thought that was, that was such a great idea. Interestingly enough, in the, the two stories that the Talmud gives us about uh, Rabbi Ami and Rav Nachman, when they were called upon to adjudicate such cases, 
they ruled that the woman not being obligated to reproduce uh, was not entitled to her ketubah payment. And then the two women in those two anecdotes come before them and said, but we have no visible means of support. We got no children. We have nothing to, to, to uh, sustain us. And in those two cases, the rabbis compelled the husbands, even though it is not the letter of the law, they compelled the husbands to pay the ketubah price, which is a pretty bold uh, ameliorative statement even though we admit, the Talmud there admits that that's not the rule, nonetheless these guys did justice outside the realm of the rule. The chapter, the page and the chapter will both end with a tremendously uh, interesting little anecdote, which I will conclude now at the bottom of the Betta. Yehuda v'chizkiyat te'omim hayu. These two fellows were twins. Echad shiva. Uh, strange Talmudic view, some babies are born after seven months gestation, some babies born after nine months gestation. The claim here is that one of the two twins was born two months before the other. Uh, so the woman goes into labor, Yehudit is her name, she goes into labor, she has one baby and she remains pregnant, two months later goes through labor a second time. I don't think that's medically possible, but maybe some of you out there know otherwise. So the woman in question happened to have been Yehudit, the wife of Rabbi Chia. And that was an agonizing experience. So what happens? Shanai met mana. She changed her clothes. Ve'atya likamei Rabbi Chia. She comes before him in a court proceeding. And she asks him, are women uh, permitted, are women obligated to prove or avu? He says, actually, no, women are not obligated to have children. So she goes ahead and drinks a sterilizing potion, whatever the medical reality is of that. She goes ahead and sterilizes herself. And when he discovers what has happened, he says, "Oh, I wish you had given me one more bellyful." That is to say, I wish you had been, wish you had gone through this just one more time. And he regrets having told her the law, which justified her own decision not to have any more children, but robbed him of any more children as well. Among the really fascinating parts of that story is the way that it mimics the biblical story of Judah and Tamar, how she dresses up to have children, whereas Yehudit, uh, the wife of Rabbi Hiyad, dresses up so she doesn't have any more children. Uh, that, my friends, is the end of Perak, Haba al Yevimto, the end of the sixth chapter of Yivamot. Thanks for learning this with me, and I look forward to learning the first of the next chapter, Almana Lakoyan Gadol, tomorrow and the next day. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.